So today we are continuing the series that we started uh, a few weeks ago, and we started out by just looking at the book of Ecclesiastes and, and uh, who wrote it, how it fits into our Bible, and we learned that day that, that the book of Ecclesiastes is one piece of a three-piece puzzle known as the wisdom literature. And these books uh, seek to, to answer the question of what, is it, what does it look like to live a wise life? Okay, we see and, and know that uh, the true wisdom only comes from God. Again, King Solomon, who was the king of Israel, um, was, is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, as well as, as most of Proverbs. Um, and he uh, was the wisest man ever to live. He, he asked, again, God told him, you know, I just to Lee, well, what do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. And he asked for wisdom from God, and God granted him that. And he was uh, the most prosperous king that, Ezra, uh, that Israel ever had in that position. Okay, and so Ecclesiastes says one of these three books, the first book of the wisdom literature is the book of Proverbs. I mean, all three of the books answer the question, what does it look like to live life wisely? And Proverbs comes with a certain tone, a certain angle, uh, the, the tone of, of a wise grandmother giving advice to those that she loves. Okay, and Solomon wrote, like I said, most of that book, but again, comes with that tone. Um, it is very optimistic. It's very, uh, you know, looking for positive results. Everything uh, is, is wonderful in the book of Proverbs. Okay, then we move on to Ecclesiastes, which was also written by Solomon, but from a very different point of view and from a different voice. He, he writes using two different voices in, in the book, the voice of the author, that gives us the overall summary of the book, and then the teacher that, that gives us uh, most of the teaching, the majority of the book. Um, and the teacher comes from a very pessimistic view of life. They, and a life um, that is, is meaningless, or just vain, or uh, the word that he uses is pebble. And that is the Hebrew word uh, that he uses 38 times in 12 chapters. Um, and goes over and over and over again through that. And again, this Hebrew word is a word that uh, is hard to translate. It's one that um, just, as uh, you look at life, it, it's that life is a mystery, right? Life um, is beautiful and yet frustrating all at the same time. Um, we try to grab onto something, and as soon as we think we have it figured out, we grab onto it and find out that it, there's really nothing there. It just kind of disappears in front of us like a smoke or a vapor. And that this word, right, is just looking at life. And really, even not even sure what to say, we just say, it is pebble. Okay, and, and as we look at this pessimistic view, again, that comes at us from the teacher, and we see, again, that, that as he, he looks at life and about and all these things, right, that, that, um, that he he's continues to focus on God. And, and th that is the, the conclusion that he comes to, right, is that all of life is pebble except for God. God is the only thing that's not pebble. Um, but then the, the last piece of the wisdom literature puzzle is the book of Job, and that is a narrative story um, of, uh, that examines the question of do we only love God and are we only loyal to God because of the blessings he gives us. Um, and so, again, that book is uh, the story of a man named Job, again, that gets everything taken away from him um, to see if he would still be loyal to God. Now, as we look at these, these uh, again, three pieces of this, this wisdom puzzle, Right, we've been diving into Ecclesiastes and seeing you know, how we seek a lot of things in life, and yet we get to the end of it, and it is still Hebel right, if God is not involved. And, and that has been our, our theme verse. Again, the, 
when the, the second to last verse of the book, this is Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it is that is the whole story, and here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Again, he's telling us, right, that everything in life is hebel, except for God. In fact, even if we find some success, even if we find um, some pleasure, some wealth in life, it's still very, very hebel if God is not involved. And right, that's what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've been looking as, as the teacher rambles his way through these different topics through the book of Ecclesiastes. He jumps from one thing to the other, but these, these themes kind of rise to the top of, of as he identifies things that we can seek in life that we oftentimes seek in life and try to find meaning in, right? But if God is not involved in it, it will still be Hebel. And um, the, again, after, for week one, introduction, week two, we looked at success, right? And how, again, he, we, we compared in Ecclesiastes how he compares worldly success to godly success, right? Then last week, we looked at the, the idea of pleasure and wealth in this world, right? And how oftentimes we seek pleasure and wealth, and yet even, even those are, are completely hebel without God being in the center of those. And now today... Um, we get to a very passionate, to passionate topic, not just for the teacher in Ecclesiastes, but it's also something that we find huge passion in even today, and that is seeking justice. Right? And we, we realize in our world today, this social justice is something that really gets a lot of people in a heated debate, right? And that we long for justice in our world, okay? And, and the, the different social, social justices in our culture today right, of things like racism, like human trafficking, right, like, um, you know, the sanctity of human life. I mean, these other, these, these big, huge topics in our culture today that we all get very, very passionate about. And rightfully so, because we seek justice in our world. Again, we, we want life to be fair. We want it to work out, right? And in fact, again, if you want to, if, if, if you, and there are people that do it. If you like to go on social media and just kind of start a fi big fight, right, you just have to post about one of those topics, right, because people get very passionate very quickly, right? And, and yet, um, again, we, we see this within our life. We, we want justice. And yet um, we see even that our, our, our pessimistic teacher sits back and says, you know what, this life, this life is not fair. This world we live in isn't fair, Right, which is why, again, we get so passionate about it, because life isn't fair. Uh, you know, this is, is this concept of just life isn't fair. We, we sit back, and in fact, um, even Wednesday, we were talking about it as the worship team. We were talking as we were practicing on Wednesday for the service, and, and, you know, I said, yeah, this is the top, and again, my son, who's the drummer, he's like, well, you've been telling us that our whole life, and I'm like, yes, I do, right? They come to me, they're like, it is not fair, and I say to them, life isn't fair, Right? And, and because, but we have this ingrained, you know, passion inside of us. We want life to be fair. Right? And, and it comes hardwired in us. And, and yet, why do we have that, that desire? Why do we want that so badly for life to be fair? Well, because God is just. Right? And God is holy. Right? And, and God breathed life into us, and we have the, the fingerprints of God all over us. And, and so, therefore, we have as a part of, of us hardwired in our mind and our soul that life is supposed to be fair. 
right? Because God is just, and therefore we long for justice. But yet, our world is full of sin, right? Our world is fallen, right? And that sin pulls us away from God, right? And separates us from a holy, just God, right? Which is why our world, then, is not fair, because sin blocks us from the holiness and the justness of who God is. Again, a very important part, a very important part of our faith journey is learning about how our world works, right, and how God works, right, and how we need to make those changes in our life, not based on how the world works, but on who God is, right, and, and the more that we, we become aware of the way the world works, right, and how holy God is, then it opens our eyes to how we can then pursue him and, and become closer to him, right, and journey towards him. As we see how the world works, then we can make those changes in our life that bring us closer to Christ, right, and to a just, holy God. So, but as we, as it's not hard, right, to sit back and realize that our, our world is incredibly messed up. It is not fair, right? It is very, very sinful, and, and like I said, we, we get passionate about it very quickly, and and you know what, we, we see that same passion come through in Ecclesiastes, right? As Solomon writes about the injustices of this world. So our, our base text this morning is in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and we're going to start today at verse 9. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 9, where it says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I've seen wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This, too, is hevel. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not all that is hevel in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so hevel. You know, as we read, again, these, these words of our, our teacher, right, about the injustice of this world, they, as we can see, I don't know if you can sense, but there, there's a passion behind these words, some that we have not seen in other places of the book. In fact, you see in verse 14, okay, is that the word hebel, which translated meaningless, right, is followed by an exclamation point. Okay, this is one of the only places in the entire book, right, there's an exclamation point. Okay, and he is just as passionate as we become about the injustices of this world. Right, and we, we sense this tone, again, even from this pessimistic teacher about how much this just angers him. The fact that life is not fair. Now, in this, this section this morning is bookended by verses 9 and 14. Okay, now in verse 9, he kind of lays the foundation for why our world is so incredibly unjust. Okay, because notice in verse 9, he says that people have the power to hurt each other. Okay, people have the power to hurt each other. 
Now, this is a very broad statement, and yet a very powerful statement. Okay, because we, as human beings, we have free will. Okay, we can choose our own way, right? God gave us free will. Now, we have free will so that we can love. And so we have that free will. Now, love is the, is the bright side of free will. Okay, now this is the dark side of free will. Because not only do we have free will that gives us to be able to love, right? But the, the other side of the coin of free will is that we also have the power to hurt each other. Okay, and he makes this statement that, that people have the power to hurt each other. Okay, and therefore kind of um, invites us into this concept that we see play out in our world every day. Right? Obviously, Solomon observed it you know, 3,000 years ago. We continue to observe it today. And that is the concept that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Okay, we start out, right? We get hurt ourselves. Right? Whether it's by another person, by the injustice of this world, whatever it is, we become wounded and we experience pain because of that hurt. And what is our reaction, again, to that hurt, right, is that we just pass that on to somebody else. And so hurt people end up hurting people. And the more people that get hurt, the more people they hurt. Right? And we start this, this downward, incredibly horrible cycle in our world of hurt people hurting people. And the more that we get hurt, the more that we hurt. Right? And, and as we start this cycle, again, he, he lays this out, right, and saying, like, I mean, here's the core of the injustice of our world. Right? Is that people power to hurt each other. But we can make that choice, and we make that choice very often. And it gets us moving into this cycle, and then we see, again, the passion come out in verse 14 as he, as he bookends this section. Right, when he says, you know what, good people get treated as bad, and bad people get treated as good, and it is completely hebel. Right, because life is not fair. And we sense that passion that comes through him, right, that it also boils up in us. Right, when we see these injustices of the world, and it just makes our skin crawl, and, and our skin, or and our blood boils instantly. Right, and so did his, because good people get treated as bad, and bad people get treated as good, because we all have the power to hurt each other. And so, but now, again, he looks at that, and he, and he, he dives deeper into this idea of injustice, and, and in the middle of this section, he, he teaches us some things, right, about, about injustice, and about people, and about, about why we get caught into this cycle. Okay, and, and in the midst of that, the first point he makes is in verse 10. Okay, after he makes this huge statement in verse 9, people have the power to hurt each other. And then he moves into verse 10, right, where, where he just gives us an example. He says, here, there are these people, right, that, that are buried with honor, right? And yet, they were the most rotten people in the world, right? And they're here, they're, they're buried with honor, and yet it's in the same place that they committed their crime. And, and he, he makes the point, right, that, that people can hide who they really are. 
Okay, and, and again, this is the, the core of injustice in our world, is that people hide who they really are. We never really know who a person really is. I mean, we see the, the public persona or the, the, the public mask that they put on. Right? But yeah, in our world, we see it all the time. It's, it's just as true now as it was then. Right? Is that we never really know the person and who they really are because they can hide the truth about them. Yeah, we see this play out. I mean, this, this literally just plays out in our, in our culture all the time. We, we know the headline, right? When, when the, the police, you know, do this, this uh, you know, sexual predator sting and, and they, they make these arrests and, and we see the, the, the positions of the people that get caught up in this, right? And we're like, really, how could they do this? It was literally just in our local news here not very long ago, right? This, this, this guy was arrested for these incredible horrible sexual things with kids and it was a priest right and we look at this and realize that people can hide who they really are and we don't even really know who they are and, and as he says he's like i watched this happen right these people they die and they get honored at the end of their life for for being these upstanding people in the temple and yet they spent their whole life like being horrible these horrible crimes right people hide who they really are in Ecclesiastes 5, 8, 9, he says, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from a higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. You know what think, right? He says, like, you never know what's really going on. But, like, I mean, we, we see what we think what, what they tell us is going on, but, but you never know if that's really the truth. You know, what's very interesting about this statement is the fact that Solomon, right, was the most prosperous king of Israel ever who wrote this. That kind of makes you go, really? Even the king? Right? But yeah, you sit back, right, he's like, you never really know what's going on because people can hide who they really are. But in fact, he makes this statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. He says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Not even the king, even the pastor. This is not, not a single person on this earth is always good and never sins. Now, there was only one person that ever lived this earth and never sinned, and that was Jesus. Can remember when he wrote the statement, Jesus hadn't lived yet, right? But so again, this statement is just as true today, other than the fact that Jesus beat that rule. Hey, but not a single person on earth is always good and never sin. And you, know, as we think about that again, what do we learn as part of our faith journey, right? Well, he, again, he's telling us, right, that that don't put your faith in people. You have to put your faith in God. If your faith is in anything other than God, it will fall short. And again, I'll just stand to you again as your pastor. Do not put your faith in me. Okay, because I will let you down at some point. Again, I'm not going to intentionally do that, and that's not, but again, I'm not God, right? I'm not perfect. Do not put your faith in me. Okay, put your faith in God. And only God. Again, he's telling us, like, right? I mean, the only person who's ever lived this world, right, in human flesh and never sinned was Jesus himself. And that is the destination of our journey. That's what our faith has to be in. 
right? If it's in anything else, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall short. It's going gonna, it's gonna to falter, right? And then we're going to be sitting back and being like, God, life's not fair. And God's like, I told you. Don't do that. Right? And, and as, as we do that, though, and we see these observations, um, what we don't understand or is not right on the surface, okay, is that Solomon is teaching us about sin. Right? Because, again, sin is what pulls us away from justice. It's what creates injustice in our world. And the lesson we learn about sin here is that sin thrives in secrecy. Okay? Because people can hide who they really are. Okay? And, and sin thrives in secrecy. Again, this is part of the deception of sin. This is, this is the lie of the enemy. Right? Of you don't have to face the truth about who you really are or about your, your temptations, or, or even your sinful actions, right? Just, just put it on the face and just, just keep it hidden. Okay? And, and again, we buy that lie, right? And we continue because sin thrives in secrecy. Right? In fact, we see the opposite advice right, about how to, to conquer sin in our life, how to get over it. Okay? In James 5.16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Right now, we, we know and understand, right, the way that we're forgiven by, for our sin is to confess it to God. Again, God is the one that can save, right? We don't put our faith in people. We put our faith in God. We confess to God. He forgives us. Right? But notice, again, how are we really healed of our sin? It's by telling somebody else. He says, confess it. Again, we confess it to God, we confess it to ourselves, we confess it to ourselves, and you confess it to somebody else, right, to each other. So that you can be praying together, and you can be working on that together, right, and, and through that confession to somebody else, because when that happens, it is no longer a secret. Right, and sin thrives in secrecy, and as soon as we confess it to somebody else, right, then that person's walking with us in our journey, and that is how we find real healing and being set free from that sin. Right, it thrives in secrecy, and yet, again, we are told through Scripture to confess our sins to each other, right, and to pray for each other and help each other, and that's how we will truly be healed. Which leads us then into the point he makes in verse 11. Okay, now verse 11, he says, right, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe to do wrong. Again, what's the best way to, to leave a life of crime? Get caught. Right, that's the best way to leave a life of crime, right? And hopefully, right, because uh, truthfully, we're all born criminals, right? We're all born sinners, right? And yet the, the best thing that can happen, right, to a really young criminal is to get caught when they're really young, right? Because the consequences are a little less when they're a little young, right? Again, that's why God tells us as parents to discipline our kids, Right? And to move forward because, um, again, we see as he's teaching us, right, that accountability isn't pleasant, but it is effective. Okay, the best thing for us to get out of our sin, right, is to get caught, right, and to involve somebody else. Because then when you get caught, right, that is called accountability, right? When somebody else is, is, can look into our life and say, hey, you're heading down the wrong path, like this is not a good choice. Right, you need to, when we have another voice, a different perspective that's able to speak into our life, right, it is not pleasant, but it is effective. In fact, it's a very humbling experience to have an accountability partner in your life. 
right? It is not pleasant at all. In fact, when you think about our just our justice system that is set up in our country, right? The, the point of our justice system is to hold people accountable. If they commit a crime, they get sense of that. Then again, the consequences of that crime, right, is to to hold them accountable, right, and to get them on a different path. Right, and the same is true within our own faith journey. Okay, and uh, again, he he knows, right, and, and our teacher teaches us, right, that that we are created to be holy, right, to not to be just. Okay, in Ecclesiastes seven twenty nine, he says, "But I fi- I did find this: God created to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path." Again, we see, again, the the double edged sword of free will here again. Right, we were created, right, to to be holy, to be to be just, to to follow the example of God, and yet we have we choose our own downward path. Right, and and again, he's telling us in this, right, is is if you um, if you involve other people, then they can keep you focused on the right thing, right. And and now if if you have a good accountability partner, if you confess something to them, say, hey, I'm struggling with this, right. Again, the the next question that would come, well, why is that a struggle for you? Like, what's the real problem? A lot of times, a sinful choice, or especially a habitual sin, is evidence of a deeper problem. So, again, a good accountability partner is like, well, what's the real motivation behind that temptation? Right? And, and again, he speaks to this in Ecclesiastes 4.4, when he says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbor. But this, too, is hebble, like chasing the wind. Right, again, he's saying, like, you know, what's our real motivation? Usually our, our true motivation is because we want to be better than the people around us, right? Not, not to be like Christ, right, but just to beat the people around us, right? And he's telling us, he's like, hey, that is the wrong standard, right? The standard is supposed to be God. Our standard cannot be other people. Our standard is Jesus, right? The only person who ever lived and didn't sin. Right, and, you know, when you think about the core of, of a Christian, right, how do we define a Christian? Christian is a Christ follower. Right, if I'm following Jesus, that means he's my example. Right, not other people. My motivation can't be just to be better than other people. Right, my motivation needs to be like Christ. Right, he's saying, watch your motivation, right? What's your, what, what's your, what are you really striving for? Are you just striving to be better than the people around you? Or are you striving to be like Christ. Right, because true accountability will lead you closer and closer to Christ, and yet sin pulls us further and further away from God. Right, and so again, what does he teach us about sin here? Well, he teaches us okay, that sin gets easier the more you do it. Okay, sin gets easier the more you do it. Now, as I think about this concept, again, I want to just let's step out of Ecclesiastes for a second. And let's just think about, think about your morning routine. Okay, you, you get up, you, you, you work through your, your morning routine to get ready for the day, right? And, and as a part of that morning routine, again, I don't really know, but I hope, right, that a part of your morning routine is brushing your teeth. You know, we go through, right, we do everything, but, and then we brush our teeth, right? We get, get the toothpaste, we, you know, we, we spend the time, we, we get our mouth nice and clean, Right? And, and then we, we come downstairs, we get, you know, we go to, you know, we, we 
get ready for the day, we go to eat breakfast, and we walk down after our morning routine, and we grab that cup of orange juice. And after I brush my teeth, and I get down there, and I grab that cup of orange juice, and I take that first sip. I know, there's by, judging by a few of your faces, you know what, I, what I'm talking about, right? What does that first sip taste like after brushing my teeth? Yeah, is ugh. Right, it, it tastes horrible. Right, and, and we, we get that, right? We brush teeth, we, get, we take that drink of orange juice, and, and it is, it's bitter, it's sour, right? It tastes horrible. And, and yet then, um, of course, we don't, you know, learn, right, because we do it again the next day, but, but we, you know, we, we take the next drink, right? And the, the, the next drink isn't quite so bad, right? And it starts to taste better with every drink, right? And, and when we keep drinking, eventually it actually tastes good. Right? We're like, yeah, I like orange juice again, right? And if, if we continue to, then we get to the bottom of the glass. By the time we get there, it's really good and we're really happy, all <laughs> right? Okay, now, but think about this again, this concept, right? This is the concept he's teaching us here about sin, okay? Is the fact that sin, sin gets easier the more you do it, right? The first time you, you make that choice, that sinful choice, right, is we are so riddled with guilt and we feel so bad about it, right? And yet, if we do that same sin again, right, we still feel bad, but just, it doesn't have the sting that it had the first time that I got away with it. Right, and then if I keep down that, doing that sin, right, and it gets it, is it we, we, are, we turn off the guilt from that sin to where we don't even feel guilty about it anymore. Right, just like the more we drink the orange juice, the better it tastes. Right, and the more we get caught into a habitual sin, the easier it is to do. Right, to the point where we get to the point where we don't even notice that it's sinful anymore. Just like the more you drink, the better it tastes. The more you sin, the less guilty you feel. Right? Until we don't even notice anymore. In Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, it says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Again, what's the deception of the sin? The deception of the sin is the more I do it, the easier it gets. Right? But notice, what's the end result of that sin? Is I get hardened against God. Right? What's the result of sin? The sin is it pushes me further and further away from God every time I do it. Right? And, and the end result, right, is it hardens my heart to even who God is. Right? And that's, again, that, that's the intent of the enemy, right, is to get us as far away from God as possible. In fact, so comfortable in our own sin that we don't even notice that, it's, that we're being sinful. Right? And the harder our heart becomes, the further away we get from God, right, and the easier it is to live that lifestyle. And yet, that's exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing in our faith journey. Right, our faith journey is supposed to take us closer to God every day. Right, to be more like him. Again, if our standard is God and not other people, right, then I'm supposed to be journeying closer to him every day. I'm supposed to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And yet, the more we make sinful choices, the further from God we get. Right, it has the opposite effect. 
Right, so we see um, they, that again, it pushes us away. Right, and notice the way to counteract that sin is to have other people speak into your life. Right, talk to each other about it. Right, if you see something bad in somebody's life, it says tell them about it. Right, so they don't get too far down that road, right, to where, again, their life is so hardened from God. Right, and then we get to, to verses 12 and 13, okay, where he teaches us this, this last concept, right, of the fact that everything in this world is, it, it's incredibly unjust. Okay, and, and he tells us that earthly results are unjust, unjust, but trust God anyways. Right, this world is fallen, it's sinful, we know that. Don't put your trust in this world. Put your trust in God. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when life is not fair, trust God anyways. Trust God anyways. Hey, Ecclesiastes 9.11, right? He says, I've observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Oh, great. Right? We read that and we're like, oh, awesome. Right? I can be the strongest. I'm still not going to win. Right? Life isn't fair. Right? And he tells us that. And then Ecclesiastes 8:17, right, he says, I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they plan. Right, life isn't fair. Right, it's not going to be fair. But he says, but you know what? You have no idea what God's really doing. Right, especially in that moment when you feel like life isn't fair and we just want to stomp our feet, you know, and have, have our temper tantrum. Right, just trust the fact that God is at Right, nobody knows what God's really doing. Right, he doesn't show us the whole picture. Right, even when earthly results aren't fair, God is always at work. And, and again, what's the lesson of sin that we learn, again, from this, is that sin has eternal consequences. Right, there is a bigger picture. Even if we get to the point where sin doesn't even feel guilty anymore, there are still eternal consequences to our sin. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right, the wages of sin is death. No matter how unfair life feels, the wages of sin is still death. Right, and, and God is just, right? The wages of sin have to be death. That price must be paid. Right, the reason, reason we long for justice is because God is just. Right, and that's exactly why he sent his son, Jesus. Right, because that price has to be paid. God is just. Right, and God also saw they can't pay it themselves. And so I'll pay it for them. Right, and they sent Jesus right, to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day, to conquer death, and to pay our sin debt. Right, so that we could receive the free gift of eternal life. If there's not a better place for an amen, I don't know where there is, right? Yeah, we, we could not pay our price, right? But God said, you know what? That's okay. I'll do it for you. Right? He sent Jesus, and he lived a sinless life, and he died on a cross. Okay, and so 
the wage of sin is still death, but yet Christ paid that price so that we could have eternal life. And guess what? That's not fair either. Right? It's a free gift, right? That's not fair either, and yet that is the story of the gospel. Right? That is the definition of grace. Right? Is we receive something we don't deserve. Right? And when we realize that, right, um, again, we, we see, again, the eternal consequences of sin, right, in Ecclesiastes 3.17. And I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. Like I said, we will all face Christ, right? Sin has eternal consequences. Okay, but yeah, again, when we're judged for what we've done, right, it's not about what we've done at all. We can stand there and say, but it's about what Jesus did. Right? He paid my price. Right, and so I received that free gift. So it leads us then to my final thought this morning, and that is this. Is that life isn't fair, and hurt people hurt people. However, God can bring peace and hope because justice is in his hands and not ours. Right, no matter how unfair this life is, right, God is in control. God is just. Right, and we put our faith in him and not in anything else. Right? And, and at the end of the day, right, is that's the story of the gospel, is that life isn't fair. And you know what? My salvation isn't either. Christ bought it for me because I couldn't pay it myself. Right? And so that is our job, right? As followers of Jesus is to be more like him tomorrow than we are today. Right? And to get sin out of our life. Right? And to move closer to him with every step. And my hope, again, is that you're here, that you've joined the journey, you're walking with Christ, right, and you're going to journey your faith. Right? If you've never received him as your Savior, I hope you'll accept him today, right, before you leave here. And if you have, I hope, again, you'll continue down that faith journey, right, and be closer to God, right, as we confess to each other, right, as we don't let sin thrive in secrecy, right, and that we don't hide who we really are, right, because God is just, right, and he justifies us.